Uh, we are going to be in Jonah chapter 3 tonight, so I'm looking forward to our study together. Uh, as you consider uh, all that Jonah's been through, we've, we've seen him uh, being called to go to Nineveh to preach to those who are in Nineveh about uh, the evils that they've done, the great wickedness that they've, they've done against God, and, and Jonah said, no, I don't want to do that. Uh, and, and God went after Jonah in a storm, and he was thrown overboard, swallowed by the fish. He repented uh, and asked for God's grace, seemed to have come to a greater understanding of God's grace. And now as we start into chapter 3, we notice he's called once again to go to Nineveh. Let's read all of our text uh, before we begin tonight. So chapter 3, verse 1, beginning all the way through chapter 4, verse 5. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. He called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish." When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. and He was angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than... (coughs) It's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? As we read through... This text of Jonah, uh, it's a very interesting twist as, as things progress through this story. But as we read through it, it's important to understand a little bit of background information. As you notice their words, uh, the words of the king telling everyone to turn from his way, uh, from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Violence is a word that would very well characterize what is going on in Assyria, what has gone through the Assyrians for a long time. Assyria is evil. 
It's just evil. There's no other way around it. They've been, they've been horrible to all the nations that they've conquered. It was not enough for them to defeat those nations. But it seemed as though their gods demanded more. They demanded glory that was seen by showing no mercy and by humiliating everyone that was around them. Their gods uh, encouraged them to persist, to, to do things that are grotesque and disgusting, to shatter not only the people, but to shatter their will to live. They would impale people uh, like crazy. There was all kinds of torture and unusual punishment that they would inflict on their enemies to make sure that they understood, you don't mess with the Assyrians. We don't play nice. We do way worse than you deserve. And they were stealing and they were murdering and they were uh, just destroying everybody at this time. They were extremely wicked, extremely violent toward other people. And so as we read that and we understand that, we see that's, that's kind of where it goes whenever you worship these pagan gods. There's this picture of the pagan gods have this value of fighting against one another to see who's the greatest. And this kind of mindset develops in the people that it's all about survival of the fittest. Whoever's the strongest has the greatest God. And, and there's no reason to show any pity on those who are weaker than us because uh, we have to be the strongest to survive. We have to dominate everybody. So the Assyrians were extremely wicked and violent, and their leaders were, were, were directing them in that way. They were, they were persisting in the violence and the wickedness. And as we think about the evil of the Assyrians, it makes sense, doesn't it, that Jonah would say when God said, go to Nineveh, no. <laughs> I'm not going in there. Are you crazy? I don't want anything to do with that place. The torture, the unusual punishments that they have. I'm going to go to them and tell them that they're sinning. That doesn't sound like fun to me. I want to get out of there. But as we study this text, we see that there's more to it than that. There wasn't just a fear that Jonah had, but also a hatred for this people. Because they're so evil and they're so violent. Well, How, how do we find any kind of connection to that today. How violent is our society? We look out at uh, the world around us, it's getting worse and worse, right? I mean, our country is going downhill in many different ways quickly. Technology is speeding the, the digression of our country. The violence the hostility is on a rise. Uh, on one side, there's the pr police brutality that obviously shouldn't be there. But on the other side, there's a complete rebellion against all authority. There's arguing and fighting. There's hatred. The news channels are just constantly amplifying it. You've got one side that is accusing the other of heinous, heinous crimes and corruption. You've got the other side that is showing themselves to be completely corrupt. Uh, recently, there was a lot of information leaked about how our last election uh, had a lot of misinformation, a lot of spreading of news that was just suppressed by one side, one political group. 
Uh, and that kind of stuff uh, goes on. And there's, there's lobbying and there's all kinds of corruption and greed and things like that that are going on. And there's using the media and using all these things that are going on in our world to pit us against one another because that sells. So violence is just increasing and increasing and increasing. Thankfully, we're not to the point where there's cruel and unusual punishment, though. We don't have that, that level of ungodliness, right? I mean, I'm very grateful to live in a country where it's illegal to impale people or uh, to, to try to execute someone in some of the ways that I've read, read about the Assyrians executing people. That kind of stuff is off limits. Uh, and we can't just, that somebody can't just come in and steal from us and, and kill us all just because they, their gods told them to. That's not an okay thing to do in our society. So we don't have that, that kind of fear going on. But there is some level of evil, and the level of evil is rising, and the level of violence against those who pursue what is good is rising. Uh, and we can't deny that. That is a fact. That's what's going on in our society today. How, who knows how far it'll go? But ask yourself this question. Will you speak in that environment? Will you speak in that environment? Will you say what the truth is in an environment where people are growing more and more hostile against the truth? You see, Jonah was, was resistant do you not sympathize with him about that? Do you not say, yeah, I don't blame you, man. I, I'm, I'm struggling to speak to this person who has such a, a contrary view to what the scriptures say. I'm struggling to, to let the truth be known because of fear of violence and hostility against me that you might take it out on me and cause me and my family to suffer in the various ways that you can cause me to sh- suffer through political shaming, through Facebook, through all these different kinds of things. It's easy to kind of keep ourselves silent whenever the world around us grows more and more hostile. Notice that God sent his prophet in there to speak the truth. And after spending three days in a whale, he finally submits and he goes and he speaks the truth in this wicked, evil, violent place. It's worse than anything we've ever seen. And what happens Whenever he speaks that truth, there's a transformation. There's a transformation. I would never have expected that. (laughs) It's funny that Jonah does somehow expect that. I don't know how he would have expected that. Whenever you see someone so wicked and so evil, you just usually get this perception. There's no way this person or these people will ever change what it is that they're doing. And you might think, how could they ever repent? Well, I know why they were able to repent. It's because Jonah was such an eloquent speaker. I mean, his sermon was like, right, top notch, you know? The best of all sermons. That that was coming out of Jonah's mouth, and it was so persuasive and convincing. Well, no, of course not. It was simply a statement, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. No, here's what you need to do about it. (laughs) No, here's why and and what you're doing wrong. None of that information was provided. It was just simply, you're going to be destroyed in 40 days. And notice as he says this, he doesn't prove his statement. (laughs) 
He doesn't give backup, he back, background. He doesn't explain the God of Israel so that they know and understand all of this. He leaves all of that for them to figure out for themselves. See, Jonah doesn't really want them to repent. So his message is plain and simple and not detailed, but it was the point that God wanted to get across in order to make sure that they understood there's a judgment coming. And God just let that sit in their minds and in their hearts, and it did all of the work for God. The words had enough power just in those little words to have that transformative effect. As you hear this, as you read about them being transformed, as you read about them repenting and turning away from all the wickedness and evil that they've done, you read about from the greatest to the lowest, the king himself is putting on sackcloth and ashes. They're, they're, they're putting sackcloth on animals. I mean, the, the extent of the repentance is unlike anything we've ever seen throughout scriptures. And as you see all that, don't you get the feeling that inside of them there was some remorse for what they've done? Some fear of judgment against them because of how they've acted and the things that they've done that in their conscience they knew they shouldn't be doing. Don't you think that's what ultimately was leading to them turning to God and, and asking, for repentance, asking for forgiveness and, and repenting of the things that they've, they've done? They knew inside it was wrong to exploit those who were weak. God created us with a conscience that has that level of understanding. And the whole time that they're doing it, in order to serve their gods, they're really just following orders and they're just doing things according to what other people say and they're just trying to look out for themselves and survive because their worldview has pointed them to that style of living. And they're afraid that if they don't give in and they don't do those things, then they're going to be receiving some harsh criticism and judgments themselves. So they've kind of fallen into the cultural norms of the day. And they've been convinced and deceived that these things are, are going to be okay, but the whole time they're doing it, I don't know about this, doesn't quite feel right. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been convinced to do something or to not do something? that you know you probably shouldn't be doing, you know you probably should be doing this and you're not doing it, and your heart within you is just kind of burning at you. And if somebody were to say something to you, anything to you, you have this mindset, this thought at the moment, I'm going to hell right now because of what I'm doing right now. I should not be doing this. God is, God is looking at this. He knows I should not be doing this. He knows exactly what I'm doing I'm afraid. I'm terrified of judgment. You ever been there? I've all, I think we've all been there. Everybody who has been uh, forgiven of their sins, who has uh, submitted to Christ, you have to go there first. And that's where they were at. Our hearts kind of burn within us, and we kind of regret all the things that we've done before, and we wonder about that. Well, don't you realize as we study this, even the most violent and wicked people who are out there have, a, have potential of going through this very thing, having a heart within them that is condemning them, that is saying, if I were to die right now, I would be receiving the judgment and it would be, it would be horrible. You know, these, these Ninevites hear the words, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. 
And that sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? I mean, how is Nineveh going to be overthrown in 40 days, right? I mean, that's it's just not even possible. It doesn't seem like. They could, they could hear that message and they say, all right, well, somebody's coming to attack us. Let's, let's hoard up all these materials and resources to last us 41 days and then everything will be okay. But they don't do that because they know inside I'm guilty. And they know the evil they've done toward other people. If it was turned against them, It would horrify them. They don't want to go through that. And so they repent. And they turn from their evil ways. And it's at this point uh, that we see some amazing grace from God saying, I relent from this disaster that I'm going to bring against them. But it's also at this point that uh, we start to, to see Jonah come back into the picture, right? The main character of this whole story. Jonah comes back into the picture. And from the outside, Jonah looks like an extremely successful preacher. Of all the preachers, he seems like he has, he has had some of the most effective preaching. And you would expect him to go away rejoicing. But that's not what he does at all. You see in Jonah this anger. It displeased him exceedingly, and he was angry. Why? Well, because inside of Jonah, there is something ingrained. Something that his society and his culture in Israel, his experiences with Ninevites, with Assyrians, has taught him that he is just having a really hard time getting past. This mindset, this perception of people from Assyria is they're wicked and they're evil and they deserve to be wiped out and destroyed. They're good for nothing. I wouldn't give them anything, given an opportunity to do so. I would do nothing to help them. And so he's mad, he's angry, he wants them to die, not be forgiven. And that's his mindset that Jonah has toward the Ninevites, toward the Assyrians. He wants vengeance, he doesn't want restoration, he doesn't want reconciliation, he just wants vengeance. It's interesting that he doesn't really care how that happens. Jonah's not mustering an army of Israelites to go out and to destroy the Assyrians himself. He doesn't want to attack them necessarily. He just wants them to get what they deserve in his mind. And he's perfectly fine with avoiding and abandoning them. He's perfectly fine with just getting away from the Assyrians. That's why he went to Tarshish, he says. I didn't want the love of God to come to those people. I wanted to avoid them and to abandon them to themselves so that they would receive what they deserve. Have you ever felt that way? Is there anybody on this earth that has gotten so under your skin, done so much evil around you, or you've heard about them and the evil that they've done through news media, through social media, through a friend of a friend, that you just want them to suffer? You have no desire to go to them and to convince them that what they're doing is wrong, to try to help them repent and to do the right things. All that you really care about in life 
is for them to suffer what they deserved and what, maybe, maybe what they've put you through. Maybe they've destroyed something that you love and you want them to be destroyed. Can't we relate with Jonah on that aspect, on that idea, that that desire for someone to receive justice, what they deserve to be given to them? How do we handle our enemies? As we look at this text, we notice God speaking to Jonah and and asking him there at the end, which he'll ask this again next week whenever we wrap this up. Do you do well to be angry? The implication is, Jonah, you're not doing well to be angry. (laughs) He doesn't ask that question because he values Jonah's opinion on the topic. (laughs) That's not why he's asking, do you do well to be angry? There's this statement that's being made. You're not doing well to be angry. Someone has done something evil against you, and now they have turned from their evil, and you want them to suffer, and you're angry because they're forgiven and they're not going to suffer? You're not doing well to be angry. And the point that he's trying to make here is repentance is more valuable than destruction. And that's a hard point to swallow, isn't it? If you really have somebody who has mistreated you or done something that's just flagrantly against you, betrayed you, someone that you love, it's hard to see repentance as being more valuable than destruction. But aren't you glad that God values repentance more than he values destruction? You know, on one hand, we kind of like, oh, I want them to be destroyed. Well, aren't you glad God doesn't act like us and have that level of, of inconsistency, you know, that uh, we sit here deserving destruction and receiving, you know, salvation, grace, mercy as we repent, but we expect God to destroy our enemies. That's, that's, that's so contradictory. Jonah doesn't do well to be angry because Jonah, a few days earlier, deserved destruction. Just a few days earlier, he deserved to be destroyed for his rebellion. And he repented. God valued repentance more than destruction. So our anger is something that we have to look out for. James says in James 1.20, The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You want God's righteousness, you want God's justice, your anger will never obtain it. As angry as we get and as self-righteous as we get, thinking that we can dictate the punishment of all those around us and we can get it all right and we can make those determinations, James says we're wrong. We will never be able to produce God's righteous judgment. So many times I've heard people say, and maybe I myself have felt, well, Jesus was angry whenever he turned over over the tables, so therefore I can be angry. Well, Yeah, but my anger about them getting my food wrong at a restaurant (laughs) or my anger about somebody cutting me off or my anger about a million different things that I get angry about, I don't see Jesus getting angry about that stuff. You know, that's not really the purpose of his anger is he's mad because they set tables up and they're in his way. You know, it's not like that. It's an anger that is righteous because it's godly. It's from God. And we, in our anger, typically aren't that way. 
Ultimately, we're not called to present a judgment against someone. We're not called to be avoiders or punishers of those who are evil. Now, I might want to avoid that person, right, who's done evil against me. That's more my speed. I'm not very confrontational. I don't really uh, address somebody who has betrayed or, or done something wrong against me. I typically say, oh, okay, well, see you later. <laughs> not going to talk to you anymore, you know. There's no confrontation. There's no discussion about what they've done wrong. It's more so, I'm going to make you suffer by reliving that sin over and over again because you're not going to learn from your mistakes. And that's my punishment for you. But that's not, that's not really what we're called to be. We don't do well to be angry with people. And, and that kind of punishment, whether it's silent and not confrontational or it's confrontational, that kind of punishment that we, we put on other people is not what God desires from us. Because he doesn't treat us that way. He didn't treat Jonah that way. So as we consider how to handle our enemies, we need to understand that God does expect us to do something. And it's not be, be angry with them, it's not destroy them, but as, also it's not necessarily forgive everybody, not be a pushover if somebody is uh, lying and cheating and thieving and murdering and raping and, and all of that kind of stuff, and they don't repent. Well, what God says is to actually uh, do good to them and leave the punishment up to him. That's what God says in Romans chapter 12, verse 18. Turn to Romans chapter 12, verse 18. Romans 12, verse 18. It says, If possible, as far as depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, Feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. And it's not, you know, you really want to make him suffer, do all these good things for them. But it's, it's kind of this picture of you're, you're getting at them. You know, you're, you're causing them to rethink things. You're causing them to understand that they're the ones who are wicked. You're trying to live peaceably with everybody. You're trying to help them overcome the, the sins and, be, and come to an understanding of that they need to repent. You're doing good for them. As, as he says in verse 21, we don't overcome evil by punishing people or by avoiding people. We overcome evil with good. That's how Jesus overcame our evil. And that's how we overcome the evil of those around us. In Matthew 5, you know that text where Jesus talks about retaliation. He talks about anger earlier in Matthew 5, but he talks about retaliation and he tells us to, to love our neighbor because our Heavenly Father is loving and he, he loves those who are his enemies. If you love those who love you, what, what have you done that's different from what the Gentiles do? But look at what God does for you, how God is loving 
toward his enemies and follow after him. And then later in Matthew chapter 6, you see Jesus describing how to pray. And he says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So the overall picture of handling the enemy is that if they are repentant, then we forgive them. And if they're not repentant, well, we're, we're trying to help them understand that they need to be repentant in some way. And we're trying to show them love. So if we're going to apply all this to ourselves and kind of bring these principles that we've been talking about to the forefront, we need to think, do we value repentance over destruction? Is repentance more valuable than destruction to me? When someone does something evil against me, do I want them to be punished or do I want them to be restored? I'm honest to myself, punishment seems like a pretty good idea. <laughs> it seems like it's going to be pretty satisfying to watch them you know, grovel in pain and suffering and, and you know, deal with what they've got coming, you know, thinking justice. You know. But the truth is we all fall short whenever we seek vengeance. We fall short of the glory of God. Our goal is to be image bearers of God. Our goal is to be like God, to represent God on this earth. And God does not seek vengeance. He will, he will dole out vengeance as is proper at the end, but He doesn't seek vengeance. He doesn't desire for the wicked to be punished. He much would rather them turn from their wickedness and be forgiven. And aren't we grateful for that? Because we too have been wicked in the past. And the crazy thing about all this is, is as Jonah is telling these people to repent and they repent, Jonah goes from a repentant state to a rebellious state again. A state of violence that resembles the violence of the Ninevites. Except it's not this, I have the power so I'm going to attack. It's this, I hate you and I want you to be destroyed even though I'm not the one doing it. And we don't want to do that. We don't want to go, into, go from being innocent to being guilty because of the way we feel about our enemies. We need, to, we need to be very careful not to avoid or punish those who have sinned against us and been evil toward us. As hard as it is, our goal is to confront the sinner with the truth and expect and hope that they turn from the sins that they've committed. Now that's going to take some work on my part. Because you see, whenever people do something evil against me, blood starts boiling, anger starts rising, really want to let them have it. You know, I'm starting to think out all these plans to, to bring about their downfall by, you know, just some kind of evil, deceptive means or something like that. You know, all these schemings and stuff come up inside of us and, and ways to make them suffer. But the last thing on my list is go to them in a loving and respectful way and express to them how they've hurt me. Or how they've done something that is wrong. The last thing on my list for sure is to sit there and think about, did they really do something wrong? <laughs> Sometimes I jump to they've done something wrong because of perception. But I don't necessarily want to confront somebody with the truth. And if I'm doing that, it's, 
It's to try to rile them up so that I can accuse them more. It needs to be more so to help them get back on the right track. Overall, our goal has to be, our, our desires have to be innocent of wrong in order to overcome evil with good. We have to truly desire for each and every enemy of ours to not only stop being evil, but to receive all the blessings that we have and to be called our brother or our sister. Jesus is that ultimate example for us. As we read the story of Jonah and we understand how Jonah goes outside the city and he's displeased and he's angry. I'm just drawn to that picture of Jesus outside of Jerusalem, weeping because they won't listen and repent. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You see, he's this perfect antitype, opposite of Jonah in that. He gives us this perfect understanding of how far love goes for the enemy. As he's hanging up on a cross saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And isn't that the truth with all of our enemies? They don't know what they're doing. It's true of us. Whenever we fall into this violence, we are these foolish children that do not know what we're doing. We're falling short of the glory and the image of God. We're not fulfilling our purpose. We're not fulfilling our calling. We're not looking like beloved children of God who make the Father proud. We're being overcome by the world. We have to overcome the world by putting that sin away from us and loving those who are unlovable. That's how we shine a light into the world for everybody to see and understand how wonderful our God is. If you're here tonight and you've not yet received that grace, uh, or you are one who has been living a life of violence and vengeance, just focusing on yourself and having selfish desires, survival of the fittest kind of mentality, it's easy to get pulled into that. As we see the Ninevites maybe got pulled into the, the ways of the culture around them, we see Jonah got pulled into the ways of his culture and, and the hatred of other people, we can't follow our culture that tells us to hate someone who has a different political view than us. I'll tell you, there's going to be Republicans and Democrats that are going to be in heaven. Whether we like it or not, there's going to be Republicans and Democrats that are in heaven. Now, I don't know if, I don't know if any of the leaders in our country are, are going to be there because it seems like there's just so much corruption going around, but I hope and pray that there are. I hope and pray that God is working through them to bring about the transition of the, the whole country uh, to serving him more faithfully and, and promoting a state of godliness and, and promoting God's glory. But if you're here and you've had this vengeance and violence in your life, this hatred toward other people, I hope that you can let that stuff go, understanding that God is not vengeful against you for that. He loves you. He wants you to be forgiven. He wants you to receive every spiritual blessing. And he wants that person that you hate to receive it as well. He wants you to see them like... Jesus wanted Simon to see that sinful woman and understand that if they will turn from their sinful ways, they, can love, they might love God even more 
than anybody else that we know. And that's our goal, is to promote God's glory through the love of those around us and the transformation that happens through the gospel. If you have needs, will you please come as we stand and as we sing?